right, guys, welcome back. How we doing? All right, all right. Everybody online, we're glad to have you guys joining us. Also, Jason's mom, hello. We know you join us every week. Um, Hey, guys, grab your Bibles. Uh, We're going to kind of be flipping through several chapters and verses tonight, so uh, I hope you can keep up. If not, just put it away. We'll have the Bible verses up on the screen. You can take uh, screenshots, whatever you need. Um, But we're going to continue in our influencer series. Uh, This is your first week, or you were not here last week. The reason we chose this series uh, was because we live in a day and age where there are more voices, there are more opinions, and more headlines than ever before in human history. The, the amount of content that we are reading, that we are hearing, that we're ingesting is never before seen in, in uh, the, the history of humanity. And so there are, there are these, these voices, some are loud, some are quiet, some are obnoxious, <laughs> but we hear them and we take them in. And whether we want to believe it or not or admit it or not, those voices influence us. And so I came across Luke chapter 8, verses 18, and that kind of got my my mind thinking about this series called Influencer, where Jesus tells his disciples, be very careful how you listen. And I can't think of a more incredible instruction from our Lord and Savior Jesus for maybe a time just like this, that we would be careful how we listen. Who are we listening to? Should we be listening to them? Because I don't know about you, but on, on my social media, I don't get notifications, right, when, when a fool posts and a really smart, wise person posts. There, there's no notification like, don't listen to this person. Don't listen to them. They're just selfish and self-centered and self-seeking and self-serving. Don't listen to them. But this person actually cares for you. Listen to them. There are, there's no notification for that. And so we kicked off this series last week by talking about the greatest influencer of all time, and his name is Jesus. That his life, whether you are a follower of him or not, historians throughout time, hands down, Jesus has influenced human history more than anyone else who has walked the planet. Every major religion has to deal with him. He has affected art, he has affected music, he has affected hospitals and educational systems. He has influenced it all. If you remember last week, we talked about how people in desperation pray to Jesus. And people who are angry curse at his name. And so Jesus is the greatest influencer of all time. And so tonight, we are going to talk about the second greatest influencer of all time. You see, Jesus comes to influence for his glory, for God's glory, and for your good. He's influencing the world for God's glory and for your good. The second greatest influencer in human history is trying to influence the world for his own glory and for your destruction. And his name is Satan. And so tonight we're going to talk about the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because whether we, again, whether we want to admit it or not, he has influenced all of us. Every single person in this room, every single person online, every single person that's ever been born has been influenced by Satan. Because if we look at Genesis chapter 3, and he opens his mouth with a lie. And that lie is taken and believed. And sin entered the world in that moment. And ever since that moment, the ripple effects of sin 
have tainted humanity. Everything that we see, whether it's creation or people, decisions, leadership, guys, like we see this all day long. We feel the oppression of sin throughout our life and throughout our world. Again, this is gonna age me, but I grew up in a time where the only thing that I knew was in my hometown. If it wasn't in the paper in our hometown, I didn't know it was happening. But y'all have grown up in a day and a time in our world where you know everything that's going on all the time, multiple times a day, and I don't know about you, but it is exhausting emotionally. And you're like, another thing happened? How could that happen? How could, like, it's just exhausting. And it all comes back to Genesis chapter three. When Satan enters humanity, offers a lie, the lie is accepted, and now sin has taken off and affected every corner of the earth. The funny thing about Satan is one of the greatest achievements that he has ever achieved was actually proven in a research by a group called the Barna Project. And they typically do poll, they, poll, they do polling for like faith-based Christian organizations. Like they, they're, they're trying to get a pulse on Christianity in America. And they, they polled churches, I don't know how many they polled, but they found that 60% of church-going Christians do not believe in Satan. Let me say that again, 60% of people that go to church on a regular basis do not believe Satan is a real being, that he is just a symbol of evil. Unfortunately, it just once again shows that we have a biblical illiteracy problem because the Bible talks about Satan all the time. God acknowledges the enemy all the time. Jesus encounters the enemy and talks about the enemy. The authors of the New Testament, the apostles and the disciples, they write about the enemy. And so it's not this dirty little secret. It is a well-known secret in the, in the pages of scripture. And so we're gonna look at that. The Bible defines Satan as an angelic being who fell from his position in heaven due to the sin of pride and is now completely opposed to God doing all, doing all in his power to thwart the purposes of God. He's called the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4. In Revelation 12, he's called the accuser. In Matthew 4, he's the tempter. In Genesis 3 and 2 Corinthians 4, he's called a deceiver. He's got lots of names. One pastor that I was reading this week said it this way, and I, I love this, this word picture, is that one of the most sobering facts about life is that all humans have a supernatural enemy whose aim is to use pain and pleasure to make us blind, stupid, and miserable forever. <laughs> that's, that's a lot more descriptive than the devil hates you. He, we have an enemy whose sole aim is to use whatever he can, whether that is pain or suffering or pleasure, to make you and I blind, stupid, and miserable forever. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. He wants us to join him in his misery. And so we would be wise. We would be wise to study and know the tactics and the ways in which the enemy 
works because he is active and he is working against the things of God. And if you are a Christian, that means he is directly working in opposition to you. Because if you are a Christian, you are a child of God. And so you even now hold the family resemblance. And so of course, he is going to be against us. The Bible is a great myth buster too. I'm just gonna read this list really quick. If you wanna take a picture of the screen, but I'm just gonna blow through this. The Bible says the following about, about Satan. He is a personal being with a mind, emotions, and a will. He is a created being. He's not equal to God. There is no cosmic football game going on between good and evil, God and the devil. That is not the case. He is a created, finite being, and he is not equal to God. Satan does not rule or live in hell. We see images of him sitting on a throne with a scepter, sitting, ruling his kingdom. That is not it. In Matthew chapter 25, it says that hell is created to, for the punishment of Satan and his demons. He rules nothing. Satan is not omnipresent, meaning he is only in one place at one time, but he does have minions, right? We saw that last week with the demon-possessed man. Satan is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. And he is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. In fact, we saw last week that demons, and then you look in the book of Job, they have to ask permission from God to move. So he's not all-knowing, he's not omnipresent, and he's not omniscient. He is weak, but he's not stupid. And that's what we're gonna see tonight. But before we go all in on, on Satan, let me just say this. He is not responsible for everything bad that happens in the world. Because we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is tainted with sin. And so therefore, there are just things that happen because we live in a broken and fallen world. And not only that, but we personally battle our flesh every day. But what he does is we, our flesh kind of leans towards this way, he just comes over and just says, right? He just pushes us, we're already leaning that way. We're already broken and fallen and sinful people. That's, what, that's our default, and he just kind of gives us a shove. And so tonight, we're gonna look at six ways that Satan influences us, all right? Six ways that he influences us, not for our good, but for our destruction. And not for God's glory, but for his own glory. So let's go. Satan influences us, number one, by peddling lies and doubt. Jesus says in John 8, when he, Satan, tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Like this is, I mean, you, you look at the two texts, Genesis 3 and Luke chapter 4, where you see uh, Satan tempt, okay? The first words in Genesis chapter 3, the first words out of Satan's mouth, are, did God really say? Doubt. Right? He, it, it wasn't a conversation. It was just straight doubt. Did God really say? Right? The first words out of his mouth is God, like, let's get you, Eve, to doubt God's goodness. In Luke 4, 
he says to Jesus himself, if you are the son of God. Satan knows who he is. The demons know who Jesus is. But Satan tries anyway to attack his very identity as the son of God. You see, his, his way is lies and doubt. And I go back to Luke 18 where Jesus says, be careful how you listen. Because you and I both know that there is that tape, that narrative that runs in our head of doubt, that questions, does God really love you? Are you really a follower of Jesus? But does God really know the depth of who you are and what you've done and what you've seen? Because if he did, he really wouldn't love you. Like, that, that's, maybe that's the tape that runs in your head. I have five kids, if you're new. I've got a busy home. And one of my kids, he, when, when he uh, gets corrected or when he does something wrong and whatever, he goes into this, like, downward spiral of self-shame. Like, some of you may know that exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's like, I don't deserve to be your son. Oh, I, I'm terrible. I, I, like, I just don't look at me, you know, like... And here's my response, like I'm sitting back like as a dad, like what is happening right now? And here's what I ask him, and here's the wonderful part about this question, is this is what God asked Adam and Eve when they were hiding. Who told you that? Who told you that you are unlovable? Who told you that you are not valuable? Who told you that you're too bad? And in those moments, I wanna encourage you gathering to stop those thoughts and ask yourself this question. That narrative that runs in your head, ask yourself, who does that sound like? Does that sound like the greatest influencer of all time who loves you and is rich in mercy and grace and lavishes it upon you and who wants to influence you for God's glory and for your good? Or does it sound like what Jesus calls the one who came to steal and to kill and to destroy. God asked Adam and Eve, who told you that? I would offer, ask you, who does that sound like? Because Satan is not creative, but he, I'll give him credit, he is persistent. In Luke 4, the temptation of Jesus at the very end of the, Jesus had defeated all of his temptations, and it says this, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time, meaning that he was gonna come back. He tempted Jesus and he planned to return. These are his ways and we need to know this. We need to expect him not to give up because Satan may be the father of lies, but Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. The second way that Satan influences us and those around us as he blinds the minds of unbelievers. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, says the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So he not only lies about the truth, he hides the truth. He keeps us, he keeps people from seeing the glory of the cross of Christ. 
People say they don't believe in Jesus because of logic or science. I would disagree with you. And Paul would say, no, you don't believe because Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. I think about, I'm a simple man. When I go to a Thunder game or an OU game or an OSU game and you see the Jumbotron and there's a timeout and all of a sudden like five hats come on the Jumbotron and there's a little ball and one hat pops up and the ball goes under the hat, you know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, you're trying to, where's it going, where's it going, where's it going? That's Satan. He wants to hide the truth from you and then he is going to move it around, twist it, change it so that you don't even know where it is. He wants to hide the truth of Jesus from unbelievers. He blinds their minds. But the great thing is in Luke 4, Jesus tells us, I came to set the captives free and I have come to bring sight to the blind. And so Satan loses Every time, everything he tries to accomplish, say, or Jesus is like, nope, I have a greater influence and actually you're going to fail and we'll get to the end of that at the end of the talk of where he ends up. The third way that Satan influences us is that he masquerades as an angel of light and that's a word we don't use very often, masquerade, but it just means to impersonate. He impersonates an angel of light. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this, He's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, Satan's all about tempting and deceiving and leading astray the believer. Because Paul says, be led astray from your, from your sincere faith. He says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Jesus Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Paul is talking about false teachers and preachers. He's saying, listen, you will hear different gospels. You will hear from people that says, hey, this is actually the good news. And I'll be the first one to tell you, you're like, well, Andy, you're a preacher, should we listen to you? I'm like, absolutely not. If, you, if what I say and you line it up to scripture say is what Andy said, fit scripture. You go into God's word, take what I say, any pastor, and you shine it up against God's word and say, is it true? And if it's not, then forget anything I've said. But Paul's saying, hey, there are false teachers out there peddling false gospels. And just to be clear, the gospel that I'm talking about, that the Bible is talking about, is that humanity is by nature sinful and separated from God with no hope of, of uh, remedy the, 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 the situation on our own. But God, by his power, his grace and mercy, and because of his love for us, provided the means of our redemption through Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That through the, the life and the work and the resurrection of Jesus, we are made whole with God. 
What happened in the garden is paid for. What has happened in our life has been paid for. And Jesus is the payment for that sin. But what Paul's talking about in Corinth is that other people are selling them false gospels. A different Jesus. And that got me thinking, what are the false gospels that we hear and that we maybe easily believe? Maybe it's the gospel of being good. That just, you just be a good person, be nice, and you'll get to go to heaven. That is a false gospel. That's not the gospel of the Bible. Or maybe it's the gospel of marriage and sex and the American dream. That if you can just, let's get Jesus, but I also need to get married. And once that happens, then everything will be good. Or we live in a world that says, hey, sex is the most important thing about you. It is the most important experience that you can have. So let's, let's chase that. Or maybe it's just the American dream. That you get the job you want, and you get the salary you want, and you buy the house that you want, and you marry the person you want, and you have 2.1 kids, whatever that means, and you have a dog, and you have a nice yard, and you get to go on vacation twice a year, and you chase that because that's the gospel the world peddles. Or maybe you're like me, and you grew up believing in the gospel of church activity. That if I just go to church, if I just go to that building, if I just show up enough, then somehow I'll be saved. Or maybe in, I think in our day and age, probably the biggest one is the gospel of self. That if I can just figure out who I am, that if I can just be the best and most true me, then I will be whole and I will have hope. It's a false gospel. Because in and of ourselves, there is no hope. Willpower is a myth. And so we do this. I asked one of our pastors on staff, like, what would you tell young adults? And he said two things. He said that the gospel that he hears the most from the older people in our church is a, is a Jesusless gospel. There is no cross, there is no resurrection. It is just do more better. I go to church. When someone asks you about your faith, your first response is, well, I grew up going to church. Okay, so you came to a building. Another pastor on staff that I asked, he said, Jesus, it's Jesus plus no struggles or difficulties in my life. Another way to put that is the prosperity gospel. It's the Christian karma. Like, hey, if I do the things that God wants me to do, he'll do right by me. And if things are hard in my life, then I must be doing something wrong. And so therefore, I need to try harder and do better and do more. False gospels. And that's one of the ways that, that Satan influences us is by getting us to buy into Jesus plus something else. When the gospel is just Jesus that he came, lived a life that I could not live, died the death that I could not die, and rose again from that death to defeat Satan and pay the penalty for our sin, that we may be with the Lord. So our hope, the gospel, is that God works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So whether it is struggle or whether it is singleness, or whether it is marriage, or whether it is no job, or the best job, or no kids, or you got fired, whatever it is, God is greater. And he will work all things out, because all those gospels end up dying a quick death when you chase them.
And so our hope is in God who works all things out. And my favorite thing is that, that our hope is in God because our greatest problem has been solved by the greatest savior. And Satan tries to convince us otherwise. The next way that Satan influences us is by tempting and deceiving people into sin. Now I'll give, I'll give Satan credit. In, in Matthew four and in Luke four, like Satan shoots his shot. He goes after the big fish. He's like, oh, it's Jesus. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. He is super hangry. All right, now's my moment. And he goes in and he says, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And three times he tries and tempts Jesus Christ himself, the son of God. He tries to get him to uh, do a miracle for him. He tries to get uh, Jesus to worship him. Because at the end of the day, that's what Satan wants. He wants to be worshiped. And anything that we worship outside of Jesus, he's winning. And so I'll give him that. And the crazy thing is that Satan involves scripture in his temptation of Christ. And what he does is he twists it. He just turns it a little bit. Paul gives that warning in 2 Corinthians 11. I'll read it one more time. He says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. One of my favorite, I, I waste a lot of time watching funny videos with my kids. Like they don't even watch TV anymore. They just watch YouTube videos. It's very strange. Um, but one of the videos that they watched, I mean, you, maybe some of you have seen this, is they put a kid in a room and they put a camera on him, they put a marshmallow on the table. And they say, all right, here's the deal. You can have that marshmallow, but if, if I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna come back in like 10 minutes or something, and if you, do, if you haven't eaten that marshmallow, I'll give you two marshmallows. And then the adult leaves and they leave the camera on the kid to see what they do. And it is, I mean, it, it is, it's Peter Pan's funny. Like, like they're side-eyeing it. They're like, oh God. One kid picks it up, smells it. Oh. And then the next little girl picks it up and licks it. Didn't eat it. But right, like, like, but that's human nature. And that's what Satan does is he's like, hey, we're gonna put this out there. I know that that's probably not what you should do, but you know what, come on. No one will see. It's not that big of a deal. And what he does is he starts small and he builds and he builds and he builds. He doesn't start with the big temptations. He starts with small compromises until our conscience is okay with that small compromise. Then he says, all right, let's add a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. And all of a sudden we find ourselves enslaved to that marshmallow. The fifth way that he influences us is that he accuses the believer before God. He's the accuser. And he influences us by being the accuser. Revelation 12, 10, John writes of his, his vision of the end times. He writes, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. You see, this is, this is what he does, right? Like just a minute ago, we were talking like, what, what he does is he, he tempts us, right? 
Like, you, like you, this is not, like, I feel like I'm all alone here, but I know I'm not, all right? He tempts you with, with lines like, hey, it's not a big deal. No one's gonna know. It, it's not gonna affect anybody. No big deal. You deserve it. You've worked hard. You, you know, whatever, right? That's how he tempts us. And then when we do that thing, his first response is, how could you? I thought you were a Christian. You must not really be a follower of Jesus if you do that. You know, if anyone knew who you were really, they would not be your friend. If they really knew who you were, they would be embarrassed to be around you. You see, he, he, he's really smart. He tempts us and then he accuses us of what he's tempted us with. He's good. That's why it's important for us as followers of Christ to know the tactics and the ways of our enemy. But here's the great thing. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Paul says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation because the great thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is he already knows who you are and what you've done. And he said, I'm going to take care of this and I'm gonna to go to the cross on your behalf and I will pay the debt that you could not pay and I will make you right with the Lord. And so when he accuses us, we point to the cross. It's paid for. That doesn't give us a license to sin. No, it's the affection and love of Christ compels us to walk in obedience with him. We don't take advantage of the grace we don't abuse the grace. We say, I can't believe the grace. Therefore, I will follow you. But Satan would love to try and remind you and remind you and accuse you and accuse you. The last way, and this is, again, not an exhaustive list, but for tonight. The last way that he influences us is he's, he's stealing the word of God out of our hearts and choking out our faith. Satan likes to steal the word of God out of our hearts and choke out our faith. Mark chapter four, we, we, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard the, the parable of the sower where the, the farmer goes out and he tosses seed on the ground, right? And, and that seed, it, it goes into the dirt and it starts to grow, but it says the birds come and pluck the seed away quickly. That's Satan. He, like we guys, we live in a time where content, biblical content, biblical truth has never been more available. But we hear things and we're like, oh, that's good. I need to write that down. That's good. I need to retweet that. I need to repost that, whatever. But then a day later, we're like, what, what was that lesson about? He snatches it. All right, for, let's just be real honest for a second. So last, if you were here last week, the last so what that I gave you was I want to challenge you to tell one person about what God has done for you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. How many of you, when I said that, were like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, that's a good idea. I need to share the goodness of God with somebody. And then how many of you actually did that? If you did, I wanna hear about it afterwards. I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to shame you because here's the deal. None of you left here saying like, that's a terrible idea. I'm not doing that, right? Because you're good, you're good, you're good people. You're like, yeah, I, okay, I wanna do that. Let's, let's, I'm, I'm gonna try and find somebody this week to share my, the story of God's grace in my life. But here's what, this, this is how he, he, he takes those seeds 
of faith and he plucks them out is through busyness and distraction. That's what he does. Because my bet is that for those of you who heard me last week give that challenge, it wasn't a rebellious like, Andy, that's too much. I can't do it. Like, that's not your heart. I don't think. You just forgot. You just forgot. Because we get so busy, we walk out of here and our phones start buzzing and we start scrolling and we start clicking and watching and binging and we get distracted. It just makes me wonder how often the distractions replace a moment where I'm gonna see God move. Like just this morning, just this morning at 7.30, I came in, it was a crazy hectic morning. I got here late, because on Tuesdays I just get here early because it's quiet in the office and, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, good pastor, I need to have my quiet time before I do sermon prep. So I open my Bible, sit in my chair, it's quiet, the sun's coming up, it's a beautiful scene, I should have Instagrammed it. But um, I'm sitting there and before I know it, I mean within minutes of my quiet time, my time with the Lord, I've got my phone out checking my fantasy football score from last night. There was a game Monday night. I'm like, oh, update. I will see what happened. And all of, like, all of a sudden, I'm, it's just the distraction is stealing. I think that's what Jesus meant when he came to steal and to kill and to destroy. That he uses subtleties of distraction and busyness. We schedule ourselves so hard that we don't have time. And so that's gonna require of us intentionality. I mean, if we're honest, ask the person you're sitting next to you show you their screen time when we're done today. And let's talk about distraction, right? I mean, come on. That's the most convicting thing in the world. It's like, oh my gosh. What percentage of my week has been staring at this thing? It's convicting. But we're drawn to it. Paul says in Ephesians 5.15, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Because the days are evil, because there is an enemy that would love for us to just drift away in distraction and miss out on the goodness of God in our lives and in those around us. So what do we do like we just heard a talk about Satan and how he influences us. So what do we do with this? How, how do we walk out of here with anything tangible to do? I'm gonna give you three things and there's nothing concrete like last week in terms of like, hey, I want you to go share your story. I still want you to share your story with one person this week, the goodness of God in your life. But this week, number one, I want you to be aware of Satan's presence and tactics but I don't want you to focus on him. All right, be aware, be sober-minded. My favorite cartoon growing up was G.I. Joe and their line was knowing is half the battle. We have to know there is a battle going on. We have to know there is an enemy that would love to destroy you. We need to be aware of him, but not focused on him. Colossians 3, Paul says, set your hearts and set your mind on things above it's an intentionality of setting your mind, setting your heart, not on marriage, not on a job, not on a friendship. Set your heart on Jesus. And the rest will take care of itself. He will work all things out for your good and for his glory. 
So don't fear the enemy, focus on your savior. Number two, if one thing I've seen that we need to know with Satan is we need to know God's word. We have got to know God's word. Every time Jesus was tempted, he responded with, it is written. Ephesians 6, Paul writes, says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's how we fight the enemy, with the word of God. Because if we don't know truth, then every lie will sound like truth. It's just true. If we don't know what God says, then the world will tell us what to believe and we won't know any different. If we don't know what God says about marriage, if we don't know what God says about sex, if we don't know what God says about suffering and difficulty and struggle, then the world will tell you and we won't know any different. We have to know what God's word says. So we be aware of his presence, know God's word, and then in Ephesians 6, 18, he says, pray. Just prayer. Maybe you don't know the Bible verses that you're like, man, I wish I knew more. Like, Then pray. There is no Bible verse you have to pray. Just pray. When temptation comes, when the doubts come, when the, when the narrative starts rolling of doubt and shame and guilt and worthlessness, pray. Three words. God, help me. It's not eloquent. There's no vows and shouts and whatever. It's just, God, help me. Verse 18 of Ephesians 6. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He says, use the sword of the Spirit. And then the next verse says, pray about everything. It's God's word and prayer. So although Satan is real and he's very influential, don't live in fear of the enemy. Simply know his tactics and then focus on your savior and the goodness of God. Know his word and pray when he's tempting you with doubt and fear. Point your mind to the heart of Jesus and then remind Satan of his future. Revelation 20.10. Just remind him. When he's tempting you, remind him of this verse. It says, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. You remind him who you are, who your savior is and where he is going. You see, Jesus wins, so follow him, resist the devil and he will flee. He has influence, but he's not the greatest influencer of all time. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for tonight, Lord. Thanks for your word that encourages us, that, that gives us insight on how we are to live and how we can fight a battle spiritually, how we can love one another, how we can support each other. But Jesus, thank you for the cross. That you saw who we are. You knew who we would be. And God, who you are rich in mercy, he said, I'm gonna send my son to pay the penalty that we could not pay, to make things right between us and God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are with us wherever we go. God, I pray for 
the young adults of the gathering in Oklahoma City. God, that you would strengthen us through your word and the power of your spirit that we would resist the devil and that he would flee. Praising in your name, amen.